afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What up and welcome. This is Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack. And with me as always is Luke Smith. We're here to get you ready for Notre Dame's home matchup against the unranked Purdue Boilermakers on Saturday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. The longtime Hoosier State rivalry makes a return after a six-year hiatus. The two schools used to play annually from 1946 to 2014 until Notre Dame's five-game ACC schedule mandate pretty much put an end to that. Um, They're actually playing for a trophy, the Shillelagh Trophy, that is, to be honest. Um, The only reason I remember that is from playing the NCAA football video games when I was younger. Notre Dame has won the last seven matchups between the schools and leads the all-time series 56-26-2. And And despite winning their first two games by a combined six points, Notre Dame is actually favored by 7.5 against Purdue, and the over-under is right around 58, depending on where you're looking. Um, We'll take a look at Purdue's offense and defense and give you some players to look out for before giving some predictions. But first, we have to talk about the biggest news that came out on Thursday that involves a drum and some serious pettiness on the side of Notre Dame. Yeah, uh, with that, I'll get into it a little bit. I think week one, we talked about the impact of uh, the death of of Bobby Bowden, and I called it a a dead coach game. Apparently, that was a bit crude. I don't know. Uh, But uh, this week, it's a drum revenge game. So Purdue has an 100-year-old bass drum that – hang on, let me reach that. Purdue has an, I think it's 92 years old bass drum, maybe a, close to 100 years that they have brought into the stadium for 42 straight seasons for every game. It will not be there on Saturday in South Bend. It's about seven feet, three inches tall, and it simply cannot fit through Notre Dame's visiting tunnel, which if you've seen it these days since the culmination of Campus Crossroads is just basically like a, a prison tunnel. It could fit through the main tunnel, but Notre Dame said, uh, yeah, no thanks. Uh, you, it's not happening. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw earlier, I kind of made a meme that mimicked the uh, Michael Jordan <laughs> F them kids meme, and I, instead I put Jack yeah. Swarbrick's face on it. It's pretty much what he said, so pretty petty. Uh, but also in fairness, he's kind of just not abiding by um, false advertisement because it is not, in fact, the world's largest drum, as they say it is. There are, there are several larger ones in Europe, and the world's largest one is in South Korea. So um, they'll probably be pissed about that, but uh, I think that that's worse than like a dead mascot game, so they might be screwed now. I know, and I didn't even realize that Notre Dame wasn't allowing opposing bands into the stadium anymore. That's a recent change. So they have to only come through the visitor's tunnel. They can only perform at halftime, but other than that, they're not even in the crowd. Do you know when that changed? Wait, they are in the crowd. Really? Yeah. I saw something where they aren't in the crowd anymore. No, no, they're in the crowd. They're just in the stands. They're not on the field. Ah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, you actually have the name of the biggest drum in the world, though. I want to hear you try and pronounce it. Yeah, the the Young Dong Gun Local Government in Suk Jili, South Korea. So um, there you have it. I don't think I pronounced that right. But. <laughs> 
I'm surprised they didn't know about that at Purdue. I would say I don't think anybody would look it up, but it's literally a Guinness World Record. So that's just sheer laziness on their part. Do you think Jeff Brom will mention it in the pregame? Well, this is this like bulletin board material. Brom kind of does. I mean, when I think of like Jeff Brom in that like crazy XFL video where he like gets decapitated, <laughs> and then he was like, "I have two questions: like, am I or am I not breathing right now? Yes, I am." Should we just play it out? Yes, the XFL. <laughs> okay, just play it. Jeff Brom, how in the world are you starting this game tonight after taking that hit just six days ago? Well, let me answer, let me answer that question by asking you two questions. One. Is this or is this not the XFL? Yes, it is. Two, do I or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. And this is like right after he literally like, was knocked out unconscious on the field. If you haven't seen the video, look it up. He looks like a ragdoll. I know. He's like the, the pride of Louisville. He's one of the greatest athletes to ever go through the state of Kentucky. And I think everyone, I know I did, assumed that Brown was going to take the Louisville job. Once Bobby Petrino sort of in his second run went away, um, but he's sort of recognized what a dumpster fire Louisville is now. And it looks like he made the right call. And Purdue's not even like in some spectacular position. I think they've gone like six and 12 in the past few years, but compared to what Louisville is now, it, he definitely made the right call. No, I, I agree. Um, it is like, it is kind of hard for me to believe though, that we have not played Purdue in seven years. Like that means that we never played them weird, yeah. during my college career. And as our buddy Spencer Skinnell made the comment like a year and a half ago to us that far too many of his Notre Dame football memories revolve around Purdue. Uh, I have to agree. I don't know about you, but like I remember a ton of Purdue games and they all kind of had that same general malaise about them. Yeah, without a doubt. For me, I think most of my, at least my earlier Notre Dame football memories, all had to do with the Navy game, mm-hmm. which is maybe why I don't like that game anymore, because it's a similar thing, like just not the best game. But I'm with you. The fact that Notre Dame hasn't played Purdue since 2014 is pretty shocking. And I don't remember like a single thing about that game. And I was there, <laughs> which is a little bit alarming. I was there with my family. So I watched the YouTube highlights today. I still don't remember most of it. Purdue threw a bunch of picks. It was actually kind of close. Um, but yeah, the one game that sticks out to me is the 2009 game when Notre Dame needed Jimmy Clausen to come back on the field after being hurt. Turf toe. Yeah, had to lead a game-winning scoring drive that culminated in him finding Kyle Rudolph in the end zone on a fourth and goal. I think Clausen threw the ball like 95 miles an hour right into <laughs> Rudolph's stomach. Um, that was like the one redeeming memory I have in this series. And at the time, Notre Dame was still looking to make it back to the BCS. That game made them 3-1. And like at the time, it felt like they were avoiding this colossal upset. But it honestly should have been an indicator of how that 2009 season was going to go. Because I think Notre Dame went on to finish 6-6 six and six and Purdue went 5-7. and seven. So go figure. I don't really have a ton of great memories from playing Purdue. And I don't expect that this one will be that much better. I'll, I'll be honest, like you kind of always have the same attitude, like, oh, it's Purdue, nothing good, nothing bad. But for whatever reason, I've always watched all those games, and, and I kind of remember a decent amount of them. Uh, like, a lot has been made this week about how Drew Brees is going to call a game involving his alma mater. I do not remember that game, but I, I weirdly do remember watching the game the week before that when Arnez Battle broke his wrist against number 1 Nebraska in an overtime game, and that news yeah. broke after the game when I was sitting in my condo. So... Like I said, I don't remember the Purdue game, but I remember the news that Battle wasn't going to be able to play, and then Drew Brees lost to a converted tight end, Gary Godsey. Um, <laughs> I do remember the 2002 game pretty well, mostly because that was when we couldn't score offensively. Like I looked back, 
And I, I remembered us having some defensive touchdowns, but we had fumble returns for touchdowns in that game by both Jerome Sapp and Lionel Bolin and a pick six from Vontez Duff. So three defensive touchdowns. Of the GOAT? Yes. It's just the and goat. Of course, the, the, the 2009 and 2012 games stick out for obvious reasons. Frankly, I agree that the 2014 one doesn't that well just because it was so boring, I think. But I think the one that sticks out the most, and this probably speaks to who I am as a fan today, is the 2003 game. Uh, the reason why the 2003 Purdue game is that game for me is it was Brady Quinn's first career start. And what I remember about this is it was a late September day. I was in first grade. One of my friends had a birthday party at his house, and instead of joining in on the party activities, I elected to sit in the house and watch with the kid's dad because I couldn't bear missing Brady Quinn's first start. And as I learned years later, the kid's parents basically approached my mom when she picked me up, concerned after the party, <laughs> saying, like, yeah, th- there's something wrong with your kid. And she asked for further elaboration, and she, they're like, well, you only wanted to watch Notre Dame game instead of joining in on the water gun fight in the backyard. And my mom's response was, yeah, he does that sometimes. Um, I, it was maybe the first time I almost lost a friend over Notre Dame football, but certainly not the last. <laughs> I'm surprised they even dropped you off. They had to see that coming. Like your mom definitely had to recognize when she dropped you off at that yeah. birthday party. Well, yeah, I did the same thing a year later. It was like a laser tag party. And I just like sat in the game room and watched us beat Tennessee and Knoxville. Cause I had no interest in playing laser tag. So like I said, like <laughs> It comes in between friendships sometimes to this day, and, and that wasn't many much different when I was six, seven years old. So, I know I feel that way whenever anyone schedules any sort of obligation on a Saturday in the fall. It's like that's so inconsiderate like, of you. Yes, yeah, so selfish and just stupid. Fall weddings on a Saturday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a sidebar. My cousin's getting married next next fall. And she's getting married on a Sunday, which is a little bit unprecedented in my mind. But I was just so happy that it wasn't on a Saturday. Yeah. Like, that was the first question I asked after, like, what's the date? It was, like, October. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and then I was like, is that a Friday or Saturday? And then I found out it was actually a Sunday. So all is well. Not bad. I won't have to watch a game from a church like you had to last year. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I forgot about that one. <laughs> all right. As for this Purdue game, another home game. It looks like Notre Dame is actually going to sell out or come close to a sellout, which makes last week's game even a little bit more confusing in terms of like the crowd showing there being 16,000 less. Like I thought it might have to do with just COVID, but apparently not. I think it was Toledo. Yeah, but still in 2007, Notre Dame sold out every game and they were horrible. Yeah, different era, cheaper, like less ways to watch. Although that was on actually more ways to watch. What am I saying? The game was on fucking Peacock last (laughs) week. Um, I don't know. I, it is a good question, but I like. I'm not shocked now if I walk in and there's a ton of Purdue fans, and I'll be a little bit concerned. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a pretty decent conglomerate of black and gold there, especially since it's the first game since 2014. In my mind, that game barely even happened. So mm-hmm. basically, first game since 13. Uh, but what's going to happen when Notre Dame has the ball? Right. So. Let me start with saying that it's an absolute shame that Bob Diaco was canned after last season in his only year as Boilermaker defensive coordinator. Can you imagine the amount of quotes we would have had already this week? It's glorious. Oh, yeah. I watched the the Icon video from Michigan State in 2012 earlier today, and I just I had forgotten exactly what he said, but he's in the locker room saying, nobody flew around like the Irish D-boys did today. You guys were Freddy Krueger out there. 
And apparently he found out after the fact that that was on video and had like a flip out. He goes, what? Like they have cameras in our locker room? And I seems like the type of guy who thought. <laughs> it doesn't even really make sense. Right. Dude, he comes off as the type of guy that like thinks everybody's out there to kill him. Like he thinks that people are following him. He's just kind of like schizophrenic. Um, but I, I digress. It, it's it, he was fired for a reason. Uh, their defense was horrible last year. They were like 89th in F, FEI. That's why he's no longer there. And they, he was replaced actually by a guy that knows Kane Madden pretty well. Uh, Marshall's old defensive coordinator, Brad Lambert, was brought in to replace him. I mean, I, I, it's kind of hard to get a read on whether or not they've improved because they played a meh Oregon Oregon State team and let up 21 points, and then they played UConn, who is probably the worst. FBS team of the last 10 years. That's yes. Like, speaking of Bob Diaco, he basically <laughs> yeah. ran them into the ground when he became the head coach and they were already bad. They're going like five and seven every year. And then True. they started going like three and nine and then winless. Yeah. There's, there's a UConn fan that listens to this podcast. I know, and he's not going to be happy with me saying that, but I mean, they're horrible. They should not be allowed to play games. And there's a reason Randy Edsel quit after a game. I lived in Connecticut. I didn't know that there were UConn fans. Sorry yeah. to the UConn fan <laughs> listening. There you go. <laughs> Shout out stores, Connecticut, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as far as their own personnel, I think by this point, everybody has heard about George Karloftis. He's probably the best defensive lineman Notre Dame's going to see all year. And I imagine he's probably got an extra chip on his shoulder as a five-star from Indiana who Notre Dame never offered. Fun fact on him that I'm not sure anyone has mentioned this week. He spent the first 13 years of his life in Greece and was once a member of the Greek youth national water polo team. So he's a very, uh, I guess that maybe that's where some of those swim moves come from originally. I don't know. but uh, You don't get that kind of research yeah, anywhere else. I, there you go. Well, except Wikipedia. Um, but there it is. Uh, his freshman year at Purdue, he was first team All-American, second team All-Big Ten, had seven and a half sacks. Significantly quieter last year probably a product of some COVID issues as well as having Bob Diaco as his defensive coordinator. Um, but <laughs> he does not actually have a sack yet this year. And Purdue as a team only has one, but Karloftis has still been getting after the quarterback. He's currently top five in the country in quarterback pressure. So there's no denying. And like, it's unfortunate, but he's probably due for a couple on Saturday, just given the way our offensive yeah. line has played. But as I said, like they're really hard to get a read on just because of who they've played to date and, like, I, I just don't really know what to make of them. But they have given up a bunch of big plays in the passing game, which bodes well for our explosive passing attack. Granted that Jack Cohn or Tyler Buckner have time. They've allowed seven receptions of 20 yards or more, and I think this is pretty notable because, like I said, UConn is horrible. And Oregon State had five different receivers produce explosive plays against them. So if that seems significant, I, I like our chances there. That said, Corey Trice, probably their best playmaker in the secondary but like it's a pretty awful secondary like schematically they uh they play a lot of four three um but lambert will mix it up on third down with some three-man fronts so we love that um he didn't blitz a ton at marshall but there has been more of that this year and and i would expect that to continue saturday given notre dame's offensive line struggles and i guess more than anything i'm most intrigued to see what notre dame does to protect jack hone and, and help out the offensive line do they have a lot of t- two tight end sets keeping Takis in? Do they roll Cone out more? I don't know. We'll see. But it, there's some issues here. Some people have tried to paint some of the sack issues on Cone. Well, I won't try to call him mobile. It goes a lot further than that for me. This is a program that has publicly stated that they are trying to bridge the gap with Alabama. This is a program that has publicly called themselves O-Line U. It is absolutely unacceptable for a program that has made those statements to play the way it has up front to date. 
They talk about the standard all the time. I don't want to come off as some hardo, but where the hell was the standard when they let up six sacks to a max school and couldn't run worth a damn? Like I acknowledge that it takes time for an offensive line to gel, and the injury issues they've had at tackle haven't helped. However, I just expect more. And, and what we've seen to date has not been encouraging. I'm not saying they can improve, but like stranger things have happened. But it, it's just, I don't know how you defend this group at this point. I really don't. Like They've been horrible, and they haven't done a lot to, to show me that they can get better. Now, you know, you can point to past years where they've gotten better as the season went on. Sure, I, I get that. But, like, ah, man, I just don't know. And, and I think a lot of it is going to come down to how Tommy Rees protects Jack Cohn, getting him into different spots, and how they end up getting just their playmakers the ball. Because ah, I, I'm just really skeptical of this line. I, I really am. And uh, it's a shame because the skill players we have are phenomenal. But um, who knows? I, like, like I've been wrong about pretty much every game this year, so I, maybe I'm wrong <laughs> about this one, but that, that's just kind of how I feel. I know a lot of people are on pins and needles waiting for your score prediction later on, but um, I'm going to be interested to see how Purdue attacks the Rams line. Like, do they even have to blitz? I mean, the, 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 rest, of the, defensive line, the rest of the defensive line yeah. is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Like, Karloffis is a stud, but the, the rest of the defensive line is very... Like, meh, middle of the road. He's a stud, but, I mean, there's a reason they have one sack and they played frickin' UConn. Like, and they didn't even have any against UConn. The one was against Oregon, Oregon State, so that's a red flag for me, but I don't know. Yeah, this is a huge week for the O-line. If they're able to keep Karloftis in check for most of the game and give Cone or Buckner, whoever's back there, some time to throw, like, Notre Dame has better skill players on the outside to take advantage of that. Um, I think Notre Dame will probably get a little bit more active getting the ball to the running backs on the outside. Didn't do it a ton last week. You saw it a little bit more in the Florida State game, but definitely think that's a good way to counter it. But we haven't seen Notre Dame run a ton of 12 personnel with two tight ends, have we? I feel like it hasn't been a huge thing, at least obviously not nearly to the extent that we saw last year. They did it a little bit last week, not a ton. Um, and I don't know, because you, you don't want to keep – you also – like I said, that's why I think having two tight ends, keeping Takis in, probably makes more sense because, like, Michael Mayer's your best receiving threat. You don't want to have to keep him in as a blocker. So it, it's um, – I don't know. We'll see how they do that. And I haven't even really talked about this, but I, I, I wonder what the usage of quarterbacks is going to look like. I really don't have any idea. I, Brian Kelly said the entire playbook's open for Buckner. I don't know what that really means. Um, but I, I also – it seems like a lot of people to me – are really, really close to saying, like, this, we could see a change of quarterback in this game, like, permanently. And I, I just don't get that, like, at all. You're saying from fans or coaches? Fans. Fans. Okay. Not okay. coaches. Like, you're saying fans are expecting that after this game, Buckner's going to start the rest of the way. I'm not saying. Some fans. I'm not saying expecting, yeah, yeah. but I think a lot are speculating that that could happen. And I, I'm just not sold on that yet. Like, I, Jack Cohn would have to play horribly on Saturday for that to happen. And. Now, if that means nine sacks, maybe it does happen. But uh, I don't. I don't know. It's just uh, we'll see how they use Buckner. Um, but I, I just am very interested to see that. Like this has probably been the regular season game in the last ten years that I've thought about the most during the week. That wasn't like a clear showdown, like you know, like a Clemson yeah. game or a Stanford game when they were really good, or USC or Michigan game. Just because, like, I really don't know what to expect. Like, I think I do, oh, yeah. but I don't know. And uh, I've thought about it too much, and I'm sure it's reflecting my quality of work. But uh, but I've thought about <laughs> it a lot. 
I mean, I agree with you. It, it's put up or shut up time. Mm-hmm. All summer long, seeing some predictions that Notre Dame would go eight and four, and even just seeing the over under win total at eight and a half, that seemed disrespectful. Some, a lot of people were projecting this big drop off for Notre Dame, and you and I both were like, "How ridiculous is this?" this and now is it's like, "Are we the idiots?" Now they're yeah. I really don't want them to be right. And lately, like the way things have gone in the first two games, unfortunately, it's sort of leaning that way now. Yeah. Notre Dame could you know, turn things around and get the season back on track. But there's just no way I'm going to be convinced that if they just really struggle through this game and, you know, go down to the wire again against Purdue and then Wisconsin the following week and then that five-game stretch of ranked opponents, like there's just no way I'm going to be convinced that they're going to run the table with those five games. I'd be shocked if they go three for five there. Like it now is the time. No, I agree. Uh, like it's certainly – it could help form my opinion on what they're going to be the rest of the year, but – that said, September has often been a struggle for Notre Dame. Uh, the differences this time, like in 2018 and even like in 2012, they are still winning the games, at least to date. So uh, I don't know. It's all, Even last year, there was a slow start. Now, obviously, there were some COVID issues contributing to that and just a weird, wacky season. But I don't know. And I guess that's the nature of the sport. But it's just it has not gone as we expected it to. And um I think that uncertainty, uh, it makes us very uneasy and uh, definitely puts me on edge. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, what puts me on edge about Purdue is their wide receiver, David Bell. Um, their starting running back, Xander Horvath, is actually going to be out four to eight weeks after suffering a broken fibula, which, as it turns out, means that Kevin Bauman injury that we talked about after the Florida State game. Yeah. Apparently broken fibula, not as bad as we thought. I know. <laughs> But uh, they actually have a pretty good quarterback, too. Uh, Jack Plummer, he's a junior. He's split time like the last couple years. This year, he's the definitive QB1. He's been really solid so far. Granted, they did play some pretty weak opponents. But right now, Purdue's averaging 344 yards per game through the air, which ranks 11th in the country. Plummer has been extremely efficient. He's completed nearly 74% of his passes, hasn't thrown an interception, um, and he's big. He's 6'5", 215, and he's not like a dual-threat quarterback by any stretch, but he's more mobile than you might expect, and it it's imperative that Notre Dame gets him, gets on the ground. him down. Yeah, when they get their hands on him, they have to bring him down because he can make throws in the move, and Purdue has enough talent at wide receiver to really hurt you. And going back to David Bell, he leads the way. I think he's the best player on the entire team. Uh, he won Big Ten freshman of the year back in 2019, this year, he's already racked up 14 catches for 255 yards and three touchdowns. He's only played in 20 career games, and he's already over 2,000 receiving yards and has 18 touchdowns. Like, pretty good. Yeah, and it's really good considering he wasn't even the number one guy for right. the last two years. That was Rondale Moore, another Louisville kid who went to Trinity, just like Coach Jeff Brom. Rondale was drafted in the second round by the Cardinals. He's already getting some tick for them, and he was attracting most of the national attention. Now Bell is the guy in Notre Dame is probably going to have to bracket him all game. I don't think Notre Dame really has the athletes at corner to shut him down. So Bell is probably going to get his, but the Irish have to at least contain him because otherwise Purdue could break off more big plays and put a lot of points on the board and Notre Dame's defense could be in trouble. Another name to look out for junior tight end Payne Durham. Not only does he have a super sick name, but he's pretty damn good. He had seven catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns in their season opener against uh, Oregon State. He added another touchdown last week. He's huge. He's 6'5", 255 pounds. He could be a matchup problem against smaller defenders, especially if Notre Dame is keying on Bell. You can't forget about him. And I think the key for Notre Dame is they just simply have to dominate the line of scrimmage. 
Like Purdue's line is I think they can Notre Dame's line this week. Yeah, they can and they should. Mm-hmm. A big, big thing we haven't mentioned yet um, is Jordan Botello is expected to be back and playing. Um, he didn't play the first two weeks. It doesn't seem like we're going to get any official word from Notre Dame or Brian Kelly anytime soon on that. One of those quiet suspensions. I, I think it. I think it may have been COVID. I think it honestly may have been a COVID thing. Interesting. Because he wasn't on the sidelines. In, in the past... Were previous... Yeah. With, was like Dex on the sidelines when yep. he was missing those four games? And I, I saw... Like and I, yeah, and I saw Sebo on the, on the sideline last week. Okay, that's interesting. What yeah. about Diggs? Was he on the... He was on the sidelines. I, yeah, I, I'm kind of confused. I haven't talked about Diggs now in like two weeks. I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, he's but, been, Yeah, he was unavailable. With Diggs, it's nice to have a third running back. But yeah, with Patel back, the Viper, this should help out um, in the pass rush. And basically, if, if Plummer has a lot of time to throw, I think Notre Dame could be in trouble. But I don't think that's going to be the case. Notre Dame is yeah. um, frustrating as the defense has been at times. They actually have been able to get after the quarterback. I think they're fourth in the country in tackles for loss. Like The havoc rate is high, but they just need to limit the big plays and just stop with the missed tackles. That's the most frustrating thing. Well, right. But I think they can. Like That's what's prom- encouraging. It, um, is that I, th- I expect that to occur. Yeah, and it has to happen soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I will say I was very disappointed to learn that uh, Plummer is not Jake Plummer's son. He, there's no relation. I was too. So I, was, I, I looked I, it up <laughs> and I was like, it's disappointing. But Bell, as you mentioned, that's another – I think he's an Indianapolis kid. I don't think Notre Dame ever offered him yeah. either. So he'll have he went him. to Warren Central. Yeah, so great. I mean, we got one stud on each side of the ball, both from Indiana, sort of, that Notre Dame never offered. So that's always a great storyline. <laughs> that's how you dominate your state. But yeah, Purdue's offensive line, they're, they, I mean, they played two terrible opponents mm-hmm. and they're 112th in the country and tackles for loss given up and they've given up four sacks in two games. It's not great. No, so if you're going to attack one area of their offense, like that's got to be it. They don't turn the ball over much and is going to have to create some turnovers, but um, I think they'll be able to get after the quarterback. But I just, the big plays scare me. Bell gets the ball and he has room to run. He's not just a jump ball guy. He can he can really run after the catch and getting him down is going to be just vital if Notre Dame wants to have a shot here. Now I, I agree. Um, I honestly think the cornerbacks have been better than I, w- I was expected going into the year. Uh, obviously, there was the snafu with uh, DJ Brown or no, sorry, KJ Wallace at uh, at nickel last week, but. Um, other than that, I actually think they've been better than what I expected. I mean, it hurt when Cam Hart dropped that pick last week, but at least he knocked it down. Um, so I don't know. It'll be a good challenge for them. And uh, the rest of the, the team doesn't worry me as much. I think Plumber's numbers look pretty good, but I, I it's not going to be like a Jordan Travis situation where they just can't tackle him. Like, I think once he gets hit, he's going down. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully this is the game where those big plays just go away. <laughs> I really hope so. All right, give me your score prediction. Uh, I'm gonna have you go first because uh, it sounds like I piss, <laughs> it sounds like I pissed some people off last week. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for the conclusion. <laughs> I don't think you pissed people. No, I I heard I pissed some people off. <laughs> okay, um, all right. Well, I'm gonna be honest. I'm mentally preparing for another just excruciating game watch. I really want to think this is the game where Notre Dame turns it around and dominates an inferior opponent. But until I see it. For four straight quarters, like they've shown it in spots, but I need to see it in four consecutive quarters. I'm going to go with what I've seen so far. Top to bottom, Notre Dame has more talent on their roster, but Purdue actually matches up pretty well with Notre Dame. They've got a big-time playmaker on offense, a good enough quarterback to get on the ball, going against a defense that is extremely susceptible to giving up big plays. 
And on the other side, they have one of the best defensive linemen in the country going up against an offensive line that really struggled with Toledo. Um, I bet Karloftis is just licking his chops watching the tackles get burnt and seeing them consistently get beat off the ball on the outside against a MAC team. I wonder what he did when he saw the UConn tape and he didn't get a sack. <laughs> That's a good point. Fair, fair. Um, Purdue is 7-1 against the spread as a road underdog under Jeff Brom, and I think they're going to be 8-1 and after this weekend. But Notre Dame does know how to win these games, and it might be just another nail-biter up until the very end, but I think Notre Dame pulls it out 34-30. to All right. I mean, it's hard to fault any of that logic, although I I don't think they match up that well with us. It's just I think it's a Notre Dame thing, not a Purdue thing, outside of the two guys you mentioned. All right, let me get into this now. All week, I had been saying this is going to be a 23-17 game, and it's really hard to think anything more than that given what we've seen to date. However, um, we're 0-2 against the spread right now. Did some research. Last time Brian Kelly started 0-3 against the spread was 2013. In that year, we beat Temple 28-6 in the opener when the spread was 29, lost to Michigan in the big house, and beat Purdue by a touchdown when three score favorites. This also occurred in 2010 when they actually pushed against Purdue in the opener and then had those two miserable losses to Michigan and Michigan State. But the bottom line is it hasn't happened often, and especially not recently. Even in 2016, they covered against Nevada in Game 2. End of the day... um, Whatever happens Saturday is probably just going to result in me accepting that this is who Notre Dame is. Uh, I think Purdue's secondary is too porous, not for Notre Dame to score points. So I'm raising kind of my Irish score production a little bit. The big question for me is, can the offensive line finally step up to its standard? I don't know. But I do think the Irish win 35 to 24. And just how it started for Brian Kelly way back when I was in eighth grade, his 105th win Tying Newt Rockney comes against Purdue, just like his first. It's absolutely I can't insane. We didn't even mention that. Yeah. Well, we that's that's that. what I'm about to say. It's absolutely insane that this is about to occur. People are kind of like, oh, okay. He's, he's about to tie the guy who you think of when you think of Notre Dame football, and nobody really cares. Um, so, yeah, that's about to happen Saturday. Uh, he's about to tie Newt Rockney, and I think he does it by covering. All right. So, we're bringing back Cover Dame after this week. Yeah, Cover Dame's back after this week. Man, I sure hope so. I'm a little excited to be just like watching this one from the comfort of my own home. I won't have to be pacing around in the in the bleachers, but I'm sure you'll have a good time being back. Yeah, I'm just very eager to watch this game slash anxious. But in uh, green, by the way, Irish wear green. We're kind of random. We're doing the green out against Purdue. <laughs> yeah, Irish wear green. So there you have it. All right, you got any final thoughts before we go? Just please win and please cover. <laughs> Please win convincingly. Yeah, like, just please game, cover. Please be over early in the fourth. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Um, but all right, that'll do it for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Luke and I will be back on Tuesday to recap the game. And hopefully we're in a lot better spirits than we were this past week. Um, in, the, in the meantime, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and help spread the word. Also, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. At Sons of Sad Irish. Talk to you Tuesday.